0: Several years back, uh, we, have, uh, we have so many new members that I can tell the story again, uh, and, uh, and it's a, a good one anyway. Several years back, Trinity 5, this Sunday, there was a heat wave. Uh, I thought it was bad then, uh, and uh, it was bad because our uh, air conditioning went off up here, and it was just, it was just too much for us to uh, meet up here. And so we uh, went downstairs uh, where it was cooler. You would have thought that we had actually drilled for such an occasion because everyone pitched in uh, and uh, before you knew it, uh, a table was pushed up against the wall and turned into an altar vested with candles, crucifix, beautiful flowers, and the chalice, chairs, sofas became our pews, music stand became the pulpit, and the choir guided us through the mass entirely. Uh, upon the wall looming over our movable altar uh, was Rembrandt's Christ uh, in the storm of Galilee. Uh, Jesus spent a lot of time in boats uh, in the gospels. Uh, Rembrandt's is one narrative and the gospel that we have for today is, a, is another. Uh, two different accounts of our Lord working miracles uh, in a boat and both of them uh, focusing on Jesus' divine lordship over nature, what everybody calls nature uh, today. Uh, around this time of year, of course, and by that I mean July the 4th, uh, we are reminded of nature frequently over and over again, but commentators and people who will frequently refer to nature's laws and nature's God. Nature's God, weird, very weird phrase, uh, isn't it? Uh, whatever that phrase may have meant to the founders from a Christian point of view the God who is God uh, is the blessed trinity he's creator of heaven and earth and is most certainly not nature's God as though he came from nature uh, or something like that or as though there's some kind of uh, co-eternality between them that is not the case furthermore regardless of what the founders thought The application of the so-called laws of nature are not on the whole favorable, not always anyway, favorable to our well-being. Nature being nature naturally ripped the sails from that little boat that they were in. The laws of nature come upon us suddenly uprooting big healthy trees, leveling homes to the foundation and leaving us at the mercy of those laws. If anything... Uh, can be said concerning uh, nature's God and nature's law, it is that what we call nature uh, was created by God Almighty. Uh, and in fact, I think we ought to just stop using the word nature, it's confusing, and use the word creation because that's what we're talking about. Nature was created uh, by God Almighty. Uh, nature Uh, nature's God, the whole notion of nature's God uh, is a puny imitation of the God who is God the Lord, the Blessed Trinity, the Pentacritur the King of the Universe, God Almighty Rembrandt's print has the disciples waking Jesus up it's kind of funny uh, when you go back and read that story Uh, the disciples, uh, he, he was asleep Uh, King James Version says he was asleep on a cushion. And uh, the disciples, uh, 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 in their little dinghy, were it was going down in in, in that storm, and they woke him up. Jesus awoke, he silenced the stormy sea, uh, and then all was well. Now, what I want you to note is that Jesus did not say a prayer to God the Father requesting seasonable weather. He literally spoke to nature, and he said... Be still and remain quiet. And the winds immediately ceased and great calm settled upon the waters because God had spoken. Uh, And God's word is the source of all being. His disciples in that text are said to have been awestruck. Now, uh, and that's exactly what is said of Peter uh, as well in in the text for today. That word awestruck is interesting. It's a quality, there's a quality of fear in the word, but it's not the same sort of fear that, they, that the disciples had when they were afraid their boat was going to go down and they were going to drown. Uh, it's awesome. It's a sense of holy otherness. Uh, something, was, something shook them to the core. It wasn't the fear of death, but it was who, in whose presence they, they were. Now I'll give you some more examples of that later. And it came and filled, uh, and they came and filled, but now we're back to the text for today, okay? Uh, and they came and filled both ships uh, so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord, for he was astonished. Now, what we're going to do is to find out why. Peter fell down at Jesus' feet and said, Depart from me, and why he was astonished. Maybe here we get a glimpse into our Lord's decision to make Peter the leader of this chosen band. Because what happened is this. A crowd was following Jesus, and he commandeered Peter's fishing boat and turned it into a pulpit. And after the sermon, he took Peter and his partners fishing And all at once, they caught such a load of fish that two boats were required, and even the other boat pulled up, both boats began to sink. Now, people, and this will help us understand Peter as well, uh, people in a sinking boat have different thoughts, uh, regardless of why the boat is sinking. And most of the time, they're driven by self-interest. Uh, There is, for example, the kind of person whose focus would have been upon his property. Uh, The man or the woman uh, would not have been able to get the thought of torn nets and tackle out of his mind. The cost of replacing uh, and the loss of productive time would dominate his thoughts. His desire to save the tearing nets and even uh, his boat would drive all other concerns out. Because for that type of person... Nothing is worse than losing your property. Okay? Nothing is worse than losing your property. This is not Peter's response. You see how radically different it is. Another uh, type of man or woman uh, would have been energized by this. Uh, She would have experienced extraordinary focus and maybe even increased physical strength at the auspicious catch of fish. The money she would make would more than repair her nets and even buy new ones. This is a kind of unexpected opportunity that only comes along once in a while. Uh, This is the break that could push one to the very front of the market and pay off all of one's debts and maybe put aside enough for the future. Thoughts of enriching herself uh, by seizing the opportunity would drive all other concerns from her mind. For this type of person, nothing is worse than losing an opportunity. There's another kind of man. uh, And his fear is the fear of losing his life or limb. And that would keep him at the back of the line, out of harm's way. The fear of slipping. Losing one step of balance and falling while trying to land this massive and expensive catch of fish is reasonable enough with such dangerous work. Uh, This man would have experienced all of the original fear of the men who were in the storm-tossed boat with Jesus that Rembrandt presents. But this man can think of nothing worse than losing his life. And that makes him the saddest of them all there are worse things than dying living a lie is worse than death and living someone else's life it's not living at all some people move through life they wander they drift, they may seem very successful, they may be very successful, in the eyes of the world, but they're drifting through life, they're not, they're merely existing, they're not really living, now it's a good thing to be attentive, that's the beginning of everything, but what distinguishes those responses I've just given you, and they're more obviously, but what distinguishes those responses from Peter's response is that all of these people are enamored by the empirical. Don't go to sleep because I said empirical. Listen to what I'm saying. All of these people are enamored by the empirical by the experience but they never understood it they never grasped its intelligibility they never understood the meaning motivated by fear character flaws, by bias they failed to grasp the meaning of this empirical event that they had been a part of, they had experienced. This great catch of fish. Peter's response is entirely different and weird. When Simon Peter saw it, he he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished. Again, that word astonished is really best understood as awe. It's numinous awe. It's experiencing something that's wholly other that shakes you to your core. Not just fear of your life, but fear of uprooting your understanding of things. Peter was not so entranced by the empirical, by the experience, for whatever reason, He was not distracted by bodily, fear of bodily harm, by death, by greed. And he, listen to what I'm saying, he grasped the intelligibility of that event. I know that doesn't sound very inspiring, but that's exactly what happened. And that's what I want you to get. He grasped the intelligibility of what had happened in front of him. A sudden flash of insight into the meaning of that great catch of fish Changed Peter's world, and a lot of other people's world too, through Peter. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished. The reason people, uh, the reason Peter felt an immediate need to get away from Jesus, and was sudden, uh, and and uh, the reason he felt that immediate need. to to get away was his sudden realization that this Galilean was powerful beyond anything he had ever seen in his life or or heard about. But not just power. Peter saw that Jesus' miracle working was tied to the very being of God. And Peter was at once overwhelmed and baffled by this experience of holiness. Whatever people, whatever people Peter realized at that moment, and you know, he's, it took time for him to process it, but everything, but whatever it was uh, about the identity of Jesus, he knew this. Not only did Peter know that Jesus was a miracle worker, but he was working miracles that only God could work. He got it, he realized it, and this is where, go back and look at the text. Stay with the text and you'll see this. On the spot, Peter connected the holiness of God to that empirical, miraculous catch of fish. And I want you, I want you to see this. Peter fell at his knees. Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. I mean, that's just weird in this case. Everybody else is trying to get those fish in and not capsize a boat this is what I want you to see understand Uh, Peter had seen men spot fish before he even knew how to spot fish himself he did not fall on his knees because Jesus was an extraordinary fish finder Uh, this miracle was not A matter of Jesus seeing the fish that other fishermen had missed. Be attentive to the text. Be intelligent about the text. Being intelligent is not all that complex. You just say, what is it? What does it mean? And follow that question. This is the intelligibility, the point and the meaning of this text. There were no fish there. When Jesus said, cast your nets... Because Jesus created those fish by fiat and Peter knew it. That's a totally different thing. In a miracle that God does, not that a human being could do. God was manifesting himself through this Galilean in a way never before seen. Peter wished that he would go away because God's holiness is an unbearable sight. And in fact, the text indicates that Peter was the spokesman for his close friends. Uh, and that his partners, James and John specifically, had experienced the same presence of power and holiness of God in Jesus that he had. They saw it too. When they finally got their catch to the land, the three of them turned their backs on their boat, their nets, their tackle, what they had loved and knew the whole life, the best catch of fish they'd ever seen in their lives. And the Bible says, left everything and followed Jesus. They woke up. They were no longer simply drifting through life. But they had meaning, and they understood what that meaning was. It's a difference between remaining enamored with the empirical and grasping uh, the intelligible. It's a difference between merely existing and really living. Regardless of how it may appear, we are, and this is I'm, maybe a hundred words here left, okay? Regardless of how it may appear, we are not at the mercy of what people call nature. Uh, We are not at uh, the mercy of nature's laws. Nor are our lives charmed by good luck or cursed by bad luck. Uh, Life is not ruled by chance. The meaning of my life is not, uh, nor is the meaning of my life, the sum of all the good choices I've made against the sum of all the bad choices I've made. Life is God's gift. A holy God. God Almighty, who loves us and sent His own Son to fetch us home. So be attentive. Be attentive to the empirical, to experience. It's the beginning of knowledge. But attentiveness has to lead next to asking, what is it? What does it mean? You have to grasp the meaning, and you have to, uh, uh, and having grasped the meaning of the thing, then you have to live your life responsibly in light of what you've come to understand. Did you hear what I said? This I want you to get this. You have to be attentive, you have to be intelligent, grasp the meaning, and then you have to live your life in light of the truth, the meaning that you've grasped. Or you're living a lie. And sometimes... When you do that, you have to do what Peter, James, and John did and sell everything you've got. Sell it all and follow Jesus. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost.